Welcome to the Real Self University podcast. I'm Eva Shea, your host and director of practice development at Real Self. Growing a strong repeat and referral business is the key to growth, but you can't get there without investing in marketing first. Dallas facial plastic surgeon Dr. Vu Ho takes us through the trials of his first 10 years in solo practice, both his smart moves and his mistakes. Dr. Ho is a facial plastic surgeon, and he's here today to talk to us about all things facial plastic surgery and the wins and maybe some of the mistakes he's made with marketing. And so we're going to go deep on some of the things that he's finding success with in the Dallas market. So before you get into any of the deep stuff, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice and and what's your world like right now. Sure. So a little bit about my background. I grew up in Minnesota and did my uh, undergrad medical school and residency there. I did a uh, fellowship in facial plastic surgery at the University of Michigan and then started my uh, private practice in the Dallas, Texas area right out of fellowship. And so I've been in a private uh, practice setting ever since. And currently I'm in a solo physician practice and it's hundred percent cosmetic. So it's a little bit unique in that sense, but some of the pluses are, you know, I don't have to deal with the frustrations of insurance third-party payers and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you went straight into private practice right out of fellowship? Yes. You never went to work for someone else? Uh, I worked with a group, but they were uh, all cosmetic. How long did you stay with the group? It was about uh, two years, and then I started to branch out on my own, you know, slowly start to build my own practice. Did you find a space or did you build a space or how did you approach that? Uh, I went very conservative. There was a a, a, den- a high-end dental office that had some extra space for rent. So I would lease a very small, I think, three-room area and just you know built it slowly, gradually. Was it hard to get people to come see you inside of a dental office? It was, yes. So... I mean, I tried everything from in terms of the marketing, everything from print to the internet and and so on. So you kind of get a a little taste of everything and see what works the best. But it's the good old fashioned word of mouth and getting out there, networking. I think that's really uh, what what I relied on, you know, when I first started. Did it feel like a grind back then? Like, how long did it feel like it took you to get really get going? At least five or six years. Now, I remember I, I remember a patient that I had, and this is when I was maybe five or six years into the practice, and he said, you know, when you hit 10 years, you'll be okay. You'll pretty much not have to worry as much. And he, I think his words were true because that's about how long it took to feel like, okay, I don't have to struggle too much at this point. You know, you, you had a little more confidence and, and uh, had built up the practice enough that it was kind of self-sustaining. Do you remember what kind of marketing you felt like was really working effectively back 
in that in those early stages? Yeah, I did uh, some local uh, magazine, especially some local magazine covers that focus on professionals, and I think that helped. I happened to connect with a PR person who was very helpful in uh, getting me on the uh, television, like the Good Morning Texas and those other uh, local type of uh, exposures. So you, did you have to learn how to be on television? Yes. Yeah. I, you know, I'm a pretty shy person, but after a while you kind of get used to it. And I think the more you do it, the, the easier it gets. So was that PR person really helpful to you during that time? Yes, very, very, very helpful. You know, he started out as a patient and we just happened to to be talking, you know, what do you do for a living? And uh, when he said he does um, marketing, PR, and that branding, and I said, well, hey, well, we'll need to talk about that sometime. And that's how things started off. But yeah, he takes care of all that for me. So did he kind of force you to think about what your brand should be and and go in that direction. Yes, of- yes, absolutely. You know, so his focus was, you know, you're a facial plastic surgeon. That's what we have to leverage you as to stand apart. You know, that's your expertise. That's what you you should be known as. And so that's the focus that we went with. And it still rings true, you know, to what I do today. So if you had to describe your brand in two or three words, other than the three words, facial plastic surgeon, what, what words would you choose? We, we actually had a, a little a refresh of the brand to, instead of beautiful faces, it changed it to beyond beautiful, to reflect my expansion of services to beyond just faces. I am working with a doctor who does general plastic surgery, who does other body work, you know, so... Didn't want to just pigeonhole myself or the practice as only facial experts. The other reason for the change was, you know, we really want to go beyond people's expectations. I think the the customer service, the top-notch care, you know, those are the things that really separate you from your competition. And that's why people will choose you. You know, you have to provide that top level service and care. And there's a lot of competition that does the same thing that I do, but if I can provide it at a a much better level, I think that's what makes us stand out. So what kinds of things did you do in the rebrand? Let's say um, physically in the office, how did you translate the brand into like what the office looks like? Yeah, it, we tied it in with, uh, we moved to a new building. I bought a building and, and renovated it. So the space, unlike the old office, uh, the, the dental office had a, an older style, a very dark wood, kind of a a lodge type of theme. It's so Dallas. Yeah. And so now it's it's the opposite. It's a lot of white, light colors, open spaces, a lot of natural light, that airy feel to it. And it's a lot easier for people to you know, physically get in and out and uh, find us. We're no longer on the upper level. We're on the floor level. And so we don't have to mess with elevators or stairs. Mm-hmm. 
and I helped design the layout of the space. So I wanted to maximize the efficiency and have it laid out in a way that would make our, you know, not only our work run smoothly, but also make patients feel welcome, comfortable. We have uh, separate access for patients who had procedures who need to, you know, be discreet. They get picked up in the back or enter through the back door. So things like that have, uh, you know, made it uh, more to our uh, needs. So if you were talking to someone who's about to go through that build-out process, what advice would you give that doctor? You really have to sit down and figure out what are the, the most important things that you need to make your work run as smoothly as possible, efficiently as possible. And you want to have a space that is comfortable to work in, is for your staff to have space that they feel that they can take a break in and, and not feel so claustrophobic and things like that. Another important thing that I stress was security for the, the building, you know, so the we really don't have to think about that. I mean, that's all covered. Convenience, plenty of parking. And I made sure that the common areas or like, for example, the break room is open to natural light. So staff do feel like they are not cooped inside all day without seeing the outside world. So you've been in that space for a year? It'll almost be a year now, yes. Is there anything that you wish you could do differently now that you've I been living in I wish it was bigger. It. Bigger. <laughs> yes, uh, there's a lot of space, more space that we could use, you know, things like more storage space or some more office rooms. And I think the lobby is a little tight, but we make it work. I felt like, you know, you don't want too big of a lobby because I don't want people waiting. I'd, I'd rather get them in and seen and... and Instead of having a, a waiting room full of people that are, you know, that were behind on uh, their appointments. I remember seeing a brand new office in Houston once that was supposed to be like so future forward. It was so forward that they didn't even have anything to sit on in the lobby. Oh, Like really? the whole idea was the patient would just show up and walk right into their appointment because they were going to be that organized. And within about three months, they had benches in the lobby because it wasn't working at all. It was just a disaster. But it's a nice idea in theory. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't quite work in the real world. So you already wish you had more space. Are you already thinking someday there's going to be another expansion? Or are you going to open another location somewhere? I think the current space can accommodate us for quite some time. I doubled the surgical capacity and in terms of the exam rooms. I think we have, you know, plenty for the amount of staff that we currently have and, and that and that will accommodate some growth too. So I don't see that really changing in in more, you know, in less than ten years. So I mean, it'd be a good thing if we outgrew it, but I kind of uh anticipated having a space that we can grow into. Do you have laser and energy devices in the yes. facility? What was yeah. the first laser that you ever bought? I believe it was a uh, fractional CO2 device. 
which complements a lot of, of what I do in terms of facial rejuvenation. So it's, it's, kind of, it's one of our workhorses in terms of, um, you know, the devices that we use quite a bit. Do you remember what it felt like to make that leap to that very first giant payment? Oh, that was very nerve wracking because I purposely put off, you know, big purchases for some time. Yeah, you worked in a dental office. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, you know, everyone I talked to, they're like, you know, the biggest mistake is getting into debt right away. And you don't need a lot of expensive equipment. I mean, your best tools are your hands, you know, so you don't have to buy all this stuff right away. You'll purchase it as you need to. So I've, I was very uh, disciplined about that. But when it came time and the time was right, I knew it was, you know, we were ready for that next step. And then how long did it take you before you went and bought the next one? Uh, that would probably be maybe a couple of years, two years later. It's a still pretty conservative timeline. Yeah. Yeah. I want to make sure I could pay off the first one. Smart. <laughs> That's like having two cars with two car payments. That's pretty scary. Exactly. Okay, let's let's talk for a minute about patients and some of the, the challenges that lots of people have. And I, I'm I'm interested in your approach to one in particular, which is it's very hard to get facial patients to share their photos. And I'm curious if you've had any success getting people to do that. And if so, how have you done that? So I found a couple of ways. One is I am very vigilant or aware of patients that come in that I feel would make for good photos that I feel confident I can uh, make quite a change or I know they're going to get a great result. So I'll ask them on the front end, you know, if you allow me to permission to use your photos, we'll give you a, a, a discount or a little break on the price of the procedure. And I find nine out of 10 times they'll jump on that. And they're more than happy to save some money in order to let us use their photos. And I think they also feel like, wow, it's, this is going to be, you know, the doctor thinks I'm going to have such good results. He wants to use my photos. So they're excited. So that's uh, something I'll do in the consultation and if it's uh, a newer procedure, maybe the one that we don't have a lot of photos for, I'll say something like, you know, this is, uh, this is becoming more popular. We don't have a lot of these photos yet, but we'd love to use your, your, your pictures and that will help us promote it and get the word out. And they're usually okay. Sometimes I have to put conditions. For example, I'll only zoom in around your eyes so you won't see any other part of your face and no one would be able to recognize you. Or so there's little, you know, give and take in order to get those uh, patients to give permission. It's really interesting to me that you just lit up when I brought up patients instead of, you know, we were kind of talking about the building, but as soon as we started talking about patients, you got really happy. Yeah. And I, I think that's kind of neat that, that you just it suggests to me that you really are passionate about them. And so absolutely. Yes. How in this rebrand and this whole process, which probably felt like it took forever, 
Did you keep the patients at the center of that process? Well, I think they're, they were the driving force. I mean, you know, if it wasn't for those loyal patients and patients willing to come and, and check us out to allow us to grow and, and move and expand the practice. And so the, the whole move was to create that better patient experience too for them. So yes, we want to make sure our staff are happy, but even more important to me that the patients are happy because they're the ones that are going to keep us in business. And that's really what the reason is for us, you know, to do what we do every day. And so, yeah, I mean, it's really, it goes together. I mean, I, I don't see it, you know, any, any other way. Is there anything you do to reward their loyalty and, and kind of keep them feeling like they're in the family? Yes, we have a couple of events a year that are geared towards existing or loyal patients and giving them kind of a deal or a, a, you know make, to make them feel special. So we personally invite them to these events. We thank them for being a patient of ours. And this is kind of a small way for us to show our thanks. And, and because one of the things we also do is for, for brand new patients, we give them a little uh, discount for them to try us. So I think it's only fair that you also reward or thank your existing patients as well. So we, we do a couple of uh, special events uh, just for them. That concept of the discount for the new patient only has always felt like a big disconnect for me. And I think you're the first person who's ever told me that they balance it by rewarding their ex- existing patients for loyalty too. That's very smart. Yeah, I mean, you can't uh, forget about them. You know, they um, need to be uh, acknowledged and showing some thanks too. Uh, we also have a med spa membership program that people can uh, sign up for. And for those people, we give them a holiday gift at the end of the year, kind of a, another personal thank you gift. Expand on the membership program a little more. How does that work? So patients can sign up, sign up for kind of a basic or what we call the kind of the entry level uh, membership where they have access to some med spa services such as facials, chemical peels, and they get injection discounts off fillers, neurotoxin. And when they go to the next level up, they get even more services and deeper discounts. So we've created so that it pretty much can meet everybody's needs and budget. So we really feel like to get the best results, we want consistency. So you want patients to come back regularly, get their maintenance treatments and so forth. And with the membership, they are able to get a break on the pricing so they don't feel like, you know, it's too far out of the budget. So they pay a low monthly fee and then it includes a set of services? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it gives them some other perks like priority scheduling, that sort of thing. Okay. So talk to me more about the events. Paint a picture. What is that event look like? Where do you have it? Um, what time is it? What, is it a party? Is it 
consults? How do you, yeah, we, how we do tried you do that? it. Uh, we, well, we call it our fall and spring injection events because those are the most popular uh, services. Mm-hmm. And what we'll do is have it so that patients can sign up for an appointment throughout the day. So we usually have a one long day, back-to-back appointments. So there's limited availability and it sells out very quickly. In the past, we used to have just have kind of a, a party where people would come, there'd be nice food, music, and so forth. But we found that patients would just come for the party. They really didn't get into purchasing any uh, services and so forth. So we've changed it up and found this newer model much more successful because patients are going to get treated, they're going to get the best deals, and you know they get to have a little fun too. We try to have a little theme that goes along with it. But it, it, it becomes very popular. So like I said, it's, it sells out and, and sometimes we'll have to either uh, honor that you know, for some people who maybe couldn't get in because of some conflict in their schedule or so forth. Um, Sounds like you might need to add a day. Yeah. <laughs> Turn yes. it into a... Well, we tried to do an injection week and I got I think that would got to be long. a little too long. <laughs> <laughs> so can we kind of deal with it as, you know, as needed? If, if we need to honor it for a few more individuals, that's no problem. I've got a nurse injector now who also helps. So that opens up some more appointments and allows us to get more people in. But it, it's... Uh, it's a very streamlined event and we have raffles. Some of the vendors will donate products to give away. We'll have uh, prizes and gifts to give away as well. Sounds like a really good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd like to see that someday. So on this podcast, we ask everyone the same question when we get kind of towards the end. And the question is, what's your superpower? Gosh, um, I guess it would be, my wife might not agree with this, but <laughs> I'm a pretty good listener when it comes to interacting with patients. When a patient comes in and talks to me about what they may be interested in, I can pick up on on some cues and some things that they're trying to say, but maybe it's not coming out exactly the way they want it to. And so I'm pretty good about asking the right questions and kind of directing where the conversation's going. But that's based on the feedback or what I'm hearing from the patient. So I, I can, you know, read most people pretty well and know when I need to kind of step back and let them vent or say whatever they have to say versus getting more assertive and, you know, guiding them along. It sounds like you take a lot of time with them too. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's one of the things that people have told us that they, you know, they, they choose to come to us because they didn't feel like they were rushed. Their appointment was on time and uh, we took whatever time and answered questions. You know, it's it's like all that good old fashioned things that you hear that you should be doing, and we we try to. I mean, it does take a lot of work, but I think that also 
reflects in the staff that we have because when I interview, I always stress that it's all about the patients, you know, and they, they have to come first. So if they're, their heart isn't into making sure that we do everything we can for the patients, then this is probably not the best, the right place for them to be. And um, that has helped attract uh, that kind of a staff or team that really emphasizes making the patients come first. Thank you for sharing your stories with us today. Sure. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for listening to the Real Self University podcast. The mission of Real Self is to create a world where every investment in modern beauty is worth it. And Real Self University is here to help aesthetic professionals do just that. The mission of our podcast is to uncover stories and data from our industry's most interesting and successful personalities. If you'd like to be a guest on the Real Self University podcast, have feedback or questions, email university at realself.com. Support us and help us keep this effort going by subscribing to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about becoming Real Self Verified, go to realself.com slash network and enter referral code podcast to receive 50% off your first full month of Real Self Spotlights. I'm your host and producer, Eva Shea. Our post-production is by Daniel Cruiser. All of our learning and practice development resources are available on demand at university.realself.com.